Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Today the title is Christmas is for Everyone. Christmas is for Everyone. Or an alternate title, if it wasn't Christmas, I would call it God Can Change Anyone. God can change anyone. That's what Christmas is all about. Joshua 2, verses 8 to 13. Now, did you ever get a really big Christmas surprise? Something that really shocked you. Like something that was like over the top. You ever have, think of that present, something, a present or something happened, somebody visited. You woke up, you saw Santa, whatever it was. uh, Some big surprise on, on Christmas Anybody have that really, really big one? My biggest one, my favorite one ever, was when I was about 10. I was trying to remember how old I was. about 10 years old. And, and my parents, we had lots of dogs, lots and lots of dogs on the farm. Cats, 25, 30 cats at a time. Dogs, 5 to 10. And so my parents would always uh, fix the dogs so they couldn't have puppies. And they didn't want more. You know, ten, 5, 10 was enough, right? But one time they didn't do that. And my dog, Puddles, was pregnant. And I couldn't wait, couldn't wait, and on Christmas Eve, later, late at Christmas Eve, about 9 o'clock at night, she started to have her puppies. And I was in puppy heaven. I was, we had never had puppies. I had delivered lots of other animals, more than I can want to remember, cows and everything else, chickens and, well, you got cracked the egg. But uh, I helped, I helped. Uh, don't want to confuse anybody out there. You didn't grow up on a farm. But uh, kittens, I mean, everything, pigs, we saw it all, sheep, everything. But... But never a puppy. And finally, my favorite, you know, I love dogs, love them, and the puppy. And, and they, they started being born, and I was just so excited. I just remember sitting there, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and she's having her puppies. And, and she, had, she had six of them, and then it was, the clock struck, it was Monday, it was Christmas morning, and she ended up having two more. And I waited up till like 2 in the morning until they all came out, and I was right there, held them all, helped her with them. It was just so, so exciting. The Chris, uh, that was like my favorite Christmas surprise ever, ever, ever. Loved it. And it just kept giving. We had these puppies for months. It was so much fun. Uh, now, in Joshua, we, found a, we find a big Christmas surprise. Rahab is in the Christmas story. Did you know that? She's actually in the Christmas story. And then to hear that, you're going to have to come on Christmas Eve <laughs> or listen to the podcast YouTube. Don't miss it. She's in the Christmas story. Uh, but the, the, there is still another surprise here that we find. The spies also found a very big surprise when they came into Jericho. They, remember last week, spies and lies? They sneak in. If you weren't here, get the CD tape, listen to the podcast, whatever. But they must have been completely shocked because God leads them to hide out in a prostitute's house, Rahab the prostitute, and it turns out she's a follower of God. She's already a follower of God, and she saves them. And if you missed that part of it, listen last week's. But, but she ends up saving them. And there's some more surprises here that I want to look at for today. Let me pray first. Father, we thank you for the kids' Christmas play and the reminder of the simplicity of the gospel. That you made it so simple. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us today. Through your word now. We pray for your mercy and grace to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, there's an outline in the bulletin. If you want to pull that out and kind of follow along and you'll have something to take home with you too. Well, we'll start here with Joshua chapter 2, verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. 
We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother and brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. So it turns out that Joshua was divinely directed to send spies into Jericho. It wasn't just to find out info, but he was divinely directed because there was a believer in him there. Rahab, the prostitute. But once again, uh, this must have been a shock to them because she was, she was a Gentile outside the covenant of God, outside his covenant to his chosen people. She was an Amorite, which means that she was under God's divine judgment. She was devoted to destruction. But Rahab is a type. Now, we talked about the book of Joshua all being a type of picture. Joshua is a picture of Jesus. Israelites is a picture of our spiritual battle. And Rahab is a type. She's a picture. She foreshadows the Gentiles, which are most of us. If, unless you're Jewish, born Jewish, you're a Gentile. That's most of us. It foreshadows that the Gentiles will be included in God's plan of salvation. That's what this is a picture of. In fact, in Ephesians 2, verses, start with verse 11, listen to what it says. This is a picture of the Gentiles being joined together with the chosen people, Israel. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope. And without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who has made... Sorry, I can't see now. This is just so amazing. Who has made... The two, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God. Through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to you who are near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ. Jesus himself is a chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's a picture. That is what Rahab is. A picture that we as Gentiles can be joined together with the Jews, God's chosen people, who are his priests, his witnesses, his missionaries to the world, that we can, under Christ, together, be brought into peace with God because the wall of hostility, the sin has been washed away, taken away by the cross of Jesus Christ. And that must have been a shock to them. And it also must have been a shock because of what she was, because of who she was. What was she? A prostitute. The worst of the worst in this city. The sinner of sinners. But once again, 
we see a foreshadowing. Another picture of the ultimate Joshua, Jesus Christ and what he would do and he, who, he would win, who he would welcome. In Luke 7, verse 36, it says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and she stood behind him. At his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. Kissed them. And poured perfume on them. This was a prostitute coming to the ultimate Joshua, Jesus Christ. It gives us hope, doesn't it? When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him. And what kind of woman she is. That she is a sinner. Jesus answered him. Notice he read his thoughts. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain Money lender. One of them owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said to Simon. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you that her many sins have been forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You never know where you might find a potential believer in Jesus Christ. It's often shocking, isn't it? Many of you probably shocked your family and friends when you became a Christian, when you put your faith in Jesus, when you came to the cross of Jesus Christ and were born again. It's often shocking. You just never know who God's going to call. I remember Kim and I had an inner city ministry in Connecticut, in Bridgeport, Connecticut, it was a rough town, and we, we started a city in the inner city. We would take our old Greyhound bus that the church owned and drive down and pick kids up once a week and bring them back to the gym and run this crazy program, ministry for them. It was wild. Imagine we would just pack a lot of kids on this bus, 
a lot of them, and they'd come running up, and they'd say, I'm coming. i go, where, did you ask your mom? I don't know where my mom is. they just pile into the bus. And, and we would bring them back, and I, we started to see God start to work on their hearts. So some of the older kids, I said, anybody want to come to Sunday school on Sunday? And it was a mob there, mob. I said, any of the older kids want to come to Sunday school? I'm going to have it in my house, because I knew I couldn't take it into the church. It would, <laughs> it would have disrupted our whole Sunday school program. So I had it at our house, which is right on the border of the property, the, the house there. And one kid raised his hand and said, I'm going to come. I said, okay, Juan. His name was Juan. He said, okay, I'll see you there. And, and come Sunday, I had some food there on the table, and I was sitting there waiting for him, and he showed up with another friend, Rick. And he said, I brought my friend. He wants to become a Christian, too. And these guys were Rahab's. If you saw where they lived, you'd be shocked. But their hearts were ready. And they accepted Christ right there at the table. And uh, I was so excited. The next morning, though, I, I went to go outside, and there was a car parked right in the church parking lot, which was right across my driveway. And there was a car sitting there, and I was like, that's weird that the car's sitting there. And I walked over, and I looked in the back, and there was all these groceries rotting in the back seat. And I looked, and I saw the, lot, the ignition had been messed with, and the locks had been messed with. And, and I was like, this is a stolen car. In the suburbs? <laughs> I was so upset. Crime has come to the suburbs. And I, and I called the police, and they came and said, yeah, we were wondering where this car ended up. It was stolen, you know. And, and, uh, and I remember going to youth group and saying, oh, my gosh, guys, I told the story. You won't believe it. There was a stolen car right out in the parking lot, you know. And, and uh, after youth group, the two boys came up to me that not just came to Sunday school, but they came to our youth group that week, and they said, uh, we have a confession to make. Now that we're Christians, we think we should tell you what happened. We stole that car to get to Sunday school. <laughs> we really wanted to come, but we didn't have a ride, so we stole the car. <laughs> I said, no more stealing cars. I'll send a van to pick you up. Every Sunday we sent the van. You just never know who God's going to call. And I'll never forget, these guys were at live at our house all the time and at the church and, and really grew spiritually. It was amazing. And I remember watching, there was a, something happened that set off a riot all across the country. I don't remember what it was, but riots were happening and cars were burning and in Bridgeport, cars were burning. I remember watching that on the TV and these guys were with us and they said, if we hadn't become Christians, we'd be out burning cars too. We'd be right there. You never know who God's going to call. Where are you going to find a Rahab? In John 3, 3, it says, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, he said, In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You never know where the Holy Spirit is going to move. And I believe that Rahab was already a believer. She was already a believer and living a, a changed life before the spies arrived. In fact, back in Joshua chapter 2, I'll read a couple verses there again. and Start with verse 8. Before the spies lay down, uh, we're going to look at Rahab's faith here. On point number one on your outline, Rahab's faith. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, 
I know the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God. In heaven above and on earth below. Rahab's faith. Wow. Right in the heart of Jericho, this sinful woman in this terrible town. But the amazing, this is just amazing, her faith. It's amazing that the Amorites had waited 40 years for their judgment. They heard about the Red Sea. They knew they were coming. When are they going to get here? No, they were too busy wandering out the desert because they didn't have the faith. They didn't have the faith. The Israelites who walked through the Red Sea, who had the manna come down, who saw all the miracles, they were afraid to go take the land. And the Amorites who were under judgment believed it was going to happen. Is that crazy? Think about that for a second. They waited 40 years to be conquered. They believed in God's power while the Israelites didn't. That's why that faithless generation had to die in the desert. And it's an important reminder for us today too, isn't it? Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Gates don't move. Gates are stationary. The gates of Jericho weren't moving. They were waiting. And, and, and we, we, the church, is on the offense. We are supposed to be just like the Israelites on the spiritual offense in the spiritual battle. Now, what Rahab says here to the, to the spies was vital intel, is vital intelligence. Jericho is scared and they're just waiting to be conquered. They're not even going to put up a fight. But the most important information she shared wasn't that, was it? The most important info she shared was her confession. Her confession. I know that the Lord, your God, is God. Without a Bible, there were no scriptures in Jericho. Without a synagogue, there were no synagogues yet. Without a prophet, no prophet was sent to Jericho. And yet without any of that, God's grace still touched her heart. It reminds me of Peter and the centurion. The centurion knew, was just waiting to hear the gospel. So God sends him Peter. Remember the vision he gave to Peter. It reminds me of Philip and the Ethiopian. The Ethiopian just waiting to hear the gospel as he read the book of Isaiah. And God transported, you know, Philip was the original jumper. He jumped over there and jumped away. God sent him, transported him. So many times you hear people, what about the person who's asking this question? It's a good question. What about the people who've never heard? What about the people who've never read the Bible and never heard about God and never, never heard about Jesus? What about them? Rahab is God's answer to us for that question. Rahab is the answer. That God will make a way for the person whose heart is really seeking, God will make a way. It's going to make a way. Jeremiah 29, 13. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. God will make a way. And it's interesting that all Jericho had heard about the power of God. All Jericho, they all heard the same thing. Had heard about the power of Israel's God, but only Rahab had changed. She's the only one. She's the only one who had changed. Almost everyone in our country has heard about Jesus. Can't get away from him. Constantly, you're seeing in a movie or hearing a testimony or something, there's preaching. It's everywhere. Can't miss them. But the majority reject Jesus Christ. They reject them. Rahab alone repented. And don't be surprised to find someone 
Find yourself alone or find someone else alone in their faith. Don't be surprised about that. If in school you're the only one or on your team you're the only one, at your job you're the only one, with your family you're the only one, don't be surprised. Rahab was alone. And how often God uses our solitary spiritual confinement. How God often develops true faith by working on us when we're alone. Elijah stood alone on Mount Carmel. David faced Goliath alone. That's how God develops and tests true faith. And Rahab's faith was real. It was real. She confessed it. And her life had already changed. Even though she didn't have all those things, she didn't have all those things, God still worked in her, her life. Many times you hear the same story. There's, if you Google Muslim converts seeing visions, Google it. There's so many missionary organizations bringing these stories out now. That there's, these, these, there's Muslim people living in countries where there's no Bibles allowed. If you're caught with the Bible, you'd be killed. That's the majority of the Muslim nations, by the way. And, and there's no witness. It's an underground church if there's anything. And yet these Muslims, there's stories coming out of them having visions from Jesus. And these Muslims accepting Christ because of these visions. And then becoming Apostle Pauls in, in their countries and where they live. Phenomenal stories. If God, somebody's heart is truly searching, God will make a way. God will make a way. Rahab's faith was real. And she confessed it, but her life had already changed. Rahab's repentance. Let's look at verse 8 again. Uh, verse 8 where it says... Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof. What's on the roof? Let's go back to verse 6 here. Joshua 2, verse 6, where it says, But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. This is not in the Bible by accident. Nothing in the Bible is there by accident. God could have just said she was, went up on the roof, but there was flax here. And this is a key to illuminate Rahab's faith in amazing confession. The stalks of flax were not something that prostitutes kept on their roof. <laughs> or even had, would have time for. Flax meant hard work. You had to harvest the flax. You had to dry it on top of the roof, put it up on the roof and dry it. It was hard work. And then you had to peel it, pull it apart. And after you peeled it and pulled it apart, what did they do with it? They made clothes. That's how they made their clothing. They made clothes out of that flax. It was hard work. In fact, working with flax in the Bible is a mark of a godly woman, of a noble character. In fact, in uh, Proverbs 31... Talking about the noble woman, it says, uh, verse 10, Proverbs 31, verse 10, a wife of noble character, who can find she is worth far more than rubies? Verse 13, she selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. Flax is the mark of, of a virtuous woman, which Rahab had on her roof. Don't miss Christmas Eve, because we're going to talk more about that the rest of the story. We'll see definite proof next time that Rahab had already repented. She already had a change of mind. She already had walked the other way. Repentance means to walk one way and turn around and walk the other way. She had already repented. We're going to see this proof in the scripture. Because true faith always includes both a confession, which we've already saw, but it also involves repentance. It's not enough to just say, oh, I believe in Jesus. It has to be a repentance, a, a change in our life that has to be part of that. Very, very important. Acts 2.38, when the, the apostles were preaching, they said, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. Also in Acts 26, verse 20, it says, 
what Paul preached, second part of the verse, he says, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. Repentance is a vital, vital part of the gospel. There is an initial repentance at salvation. When we first are saved, when we're first born again, when we first put our faith in Christ, there's an initial repentance when we say, God, I repent of my sin, the, all the sin of my life, everything I've ever done wrong. Just like that sinful woman, we cry at Jesus' feet, we ask for forgiveness. There's a, that's the first step is repenting and asking for forgiveness. And then we put our faith in Jesus. Just like that woman, her faith had saved her. We say, I believe Jesus, you died for me. I believe you took my place, my sin, and I give my life to you. At that, that's the initial repentance at salvation. But there is an ongoing, then there is an ongoing repentance that is a vital part of our sanctification. It's one thing to repent at salvation, that's very important, but then there has to be a continual, lifelong repentance that's part of our sanctification. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That continual confession and asking for forgiveness, that continual cleansing is a very, very important part of our sanctification. It's a lifelong process of conviction, of asking forgiveness God, as God convicts us of something and we ask for forgiveness of that and then ask for the grace to fight the sin and the mercy and grace to fight that sin and temptation, to keep on battling it. It's a constant... Uh, Process. That's what Hebrews 4.16 talks about when he says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's that constantly coming to the throne. We are, we, it's that, that, that constant repentance cleansing process. It's, it's a lifelong process. We are saved by faith, but our actions show that our faith is real and that there has been true repentance. We are only saved by faith, but there has to be a true repentance that, that changes our life. And we see that with Rahab. We saw her faith, we saw her repentance, and now we see her actions. And back to Joshua chapter 2, verse 12, where it says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Her actions proved her faith was real. She first of all saved the spies and now she tries to save her family, which she's going to do. We'll see that as we go on here. It's all proof of real faith. That concern for others that are lost and, the, and, the, and, and saving these spies, that was proof of real faith. In fact, in Hebrews 11.31, we saw that last week, by faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who are disobedient. By faith, she took these steps that proved that her actions showed that it was real. Our actions, our good works, don't save us. We know that they don't save us, right? They don't save us, but they show that our faith is real. Very, very important. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Can't get any more clear than that, right? We are saved by putting our faith in God's grace, his gift. But then it goes on to say, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're saved by faith, but we're saved, why? So that we can do good works. Do they save us? Not a bit. But they show that our faith is real. That's why we're saved. So that we can live that good life. So we can do those good works. Very, very important. There has to be a change. When kids, when your kids say they're sorry, they do something wrong, they say they're sorry, how do you know they're really sorry? Not only do they say they're sorry, but they stop doing something. And that's the key. That's the key. When they, we have to not just say it, but we have to stop. There has to be a change in our life. If we truly put our faith in Jesus, there has to be a change in our life. There has to be fruit in our life. Some is automatic. Some comes fast. Some, the moment you put your faith in Jesus and say, God, please forgive me. I put my faith in Jesus. There is radical changes in our life. Instantly. It's amazing. It's awesome. But some things are very slow and gradual. Can you relate to that? 
And that's because God leaves some things in our life, as we'll see as we go through the book of Joshua. He leaves things in our life to keep us dependent, to keep us dependent on him and, and to, learn, to learn perseverance and to grow spiritually. But, but the key is that if we put our faith in Jesus, we truly do that, there will be a change. People will know there has to be a radical change in our life. And if there's not, then we don't know Jesus. I've told this story many times, but it's a great illustration of this. When I was a kid, I never forget, I, I had a pair of scissors, and I decided to stick them in an electrical socket to see what would happen. I don't remember much after that, but my mom found me there, and, and, and she didn't say, what happened, Chucky? She didn't say that. Why? She knew what happened. She knew that I had electrical currents that had gone through my body. It, no one had to tell her. It was obvious in the change in me, you know. I, I remember it very well. And, and uh, when I came to, and, and, that, and as Christians, when we receive, if we put our faith in God and Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit and he comes in, there will be a radical change in life. Nobody's going to have to say, you know, you know you're not going to say, hey, something happened. People are going to know. There is going to be a change in your life, and there's no change, then you never stuck the, the, the scissors in the socket. You've never put your faith in Jesus. No change, no Jesus. No Jesus, no change. Simple. Simple. Very, very important. There must be a change, and anyone can change no matter what life we have lived. Anyone can change. No matter what life we live, that's what the book of Joshua and the story of Rahab is all about. That's what the good news, the gospel is all about. That's what Christmas is all about. God can change anyone. Anyone. Wait till we get to testimony time in a few weeks here. You're going to hear the stories. God has changed us, hasn't he? God can change anyone. There is a big lie being told out there in our society today, in the USA today, that you can't change. That if you have a weakness that a predisposition to something, you must live it out that way because you have been born that way. That is Satan's lie. And th- but they aren't consistent with us. If, if you're born with a predisposition toward anger and violence, what are you supposed to do? Oh, you've got to fight that one. Can't be violent. You've got to fight that. Or if it's a predisposition toward drug addiction, oh, you've got to resist that. You've got to fight that, right? But even that, even if it's an addiction... They, they even get that messed up because they call it a disease. They got a disease. That's why you have, you're addicted. It's a disease. Listen, a disease is something you have no, can't control, you can't deal with, no help with that. You catch a disease, you catch a cold, there's nothing you could have done about that. But the Bible calls addictions besetting sins, Hebrews 12, besetting sins. It's not a disease, it's a sin. But a besetting sin, King James Version, it's something that really gets a hold of us. Something we open the door to, or we're weakened and we open the door to. We have a part to play in this. And now, the, and the reason I say this is because you won't get past it. You won't live victorious unless we take responsibility for our besetting sin. Do we need help? Sure. We need a lot of help with that. But we have to recognize that. Very, very important. And a big part of this lie, too, is that God doesn't care what we do. He accepts everybody no matter how we live because he made us that way. Right? Connect the dots. It's all out there. And as long as you're not hurting anyone, it's okay. God doesn't care. That is a lie. You are hurting someone. Sin is hurting someone. It's hurting us. It's hurting us now and forever. That's the lie of sin. It's like a drug. Sin, all sin is like that drug. It's a lie. It's hurting us. That's why God says don't do it. He doesn't say it to take away our fun or to, to make our life miserable. No, he knows that what he says don't do and don't live like that is going to destroy us here and forever someday. He knows it. It's a lie. It's like a, it's that drug. And we all have a predisposition. We, every one of us who is born on this planet has a predisposition to the sinful nature. To the sin nature. We all are born with potential for every sin. Every one of us. Did you know that? Every one of us has potential for every sin. And it can be triggered by many things in our life. Through our family and through our relationships. Something that happens to us. Something that's done to us. Doors that we open. We open doors, and, we, and that's why the Bible says don't give the devil a 
foothold. We can give the devil a foothold. We open these doors. We do it. But because of God's mercy, we can be forgiven. Because of God's grace, we can live the real life that God has called us to live. And that's what this, this Christmas is all about. That's what this story of Rahab is all about. In 1 Corinthians 6, and this is my this is kind of like the, the verse of our church here. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11, it says this. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. God does care. He does care how we live. Do not be deceived. And look at that list. We, we, can, we could add to that list, couldn't we? We know our testimonies. We could all double, triple that list very easily here at this church. We could, couldn't we? But that is what we were. It's what we were because we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, that's what you were. Rahab was a prostitute. They keep talking about Rahab the prostitute. She's not a prostitute anymore. We're going to see that next week. Not a prostitute. But that was a badge of honor. Simon the leper. Simon was cured. He was healed. But he still kept that name. It was a badge of honor. He was healed. And, and, and that's what we were. The moment we put our faith in Jesus, say, God, I believe Jesus died for my sin. I want to repent. I put my faith in Jesus. He died for me. I believe that. I give my life to him. The moment we do that, we are washed. Washed, it's all washed away. We are sanctified, set apart in starting that process of sanctification. We are justified. What does justified mean? Good definition. Just as if I never sinned. I hear a lot of you saying it. Just as if I never sinned. The moment you pray that prayer of faith, it's gone. It's like it never happened. It's on Jesus now, just as if I never sinned. Oh, we're still tempted, aren't we? <laughs> if you're a Christian, you know we're still tempted. We still struggle. We still fall. But it's no longer our identity. That sin is no longer our identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. It's no longer our identity. Memorize this one. Meditate on this one. Our identity changes instant. The moment you put our, we put our faith in Christ, it's instant. But the behavior then is going to follow. It takes time. Like Pavlov's dog, we've been conditioned to the, to the, to the old life, to the sinful life, right? It takes time to change that. I know on, a, on the farm... We had uh, lanes that would go up and down to the different fields, and we would drive those lanes a lot, and we had these big tractors with the machinery and everything. And over, and, and over time, you would start to form ruts in these lanes. And you'd drive, and it would be a big rut, and it would get deeper and deeper and deeper. And pretty soon, when you went to drive down the lane, you went right into the rut. You had to. You had no choice. You were stuck in that rut the whole way. Then in the spring, my dad would... And then in the summer, uh, winter, all the the... Water would run and it would go even deeper. You'd have these little creeks almost in the lane there. Then my dad in the spring would get out the disc. Anybody know what a disc is? <laughs> a couple former farmers. I know there's some farmers. The disc got the little plates, those little sharp little plates all across. And he would go down the lane with a disc several times and he would disc it up. Chew it up. Chop it up. And, and when, after he did that, there would be all these little rivets there. And, and the ruts would be a lot smaller. They were still there, but they are a lot smaller. And, and before that, when we would drive, we would slide in. We had no choice. We were stuck in the rut. We had no choice. But now, because of the disking that happened, we could now drive and, and try to stay out of the ruts. And sometimes we'd still slide in, but we could fight our way out back out again. And we'd, we'd fight our way out. And we could avoid them a lot easier now. And we could get out of them a lot easier. And, and pretty soon, we started to form new ruts. We formed a brand new rut. We would keep driving in a different spot on the lane, and the next thing you know, there was a whole new rut, and then we would always be stuck in that rut. But that's the whole point about being a Christian. 
We, we become a Christian, we put our faith in Jesus, and we still have these ruts, and, 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 and at salvation it's disked up, but we still can slide into the old ones, right? And we've got to be careful, but now we can slide in, but we can get out now. And we can form a brand new rut, godly habits, a godly lifestyle. That's what we can do now because of, because of God's mercy and grace. God can change anyone. Any of us. God can change anyone. That's what Christmas is all about. That's the hope that we all have. The new hope that we all have here in New Hope, right? I, I know what God has saved me from. What he has forgiven me for. I know what I was. Even more, I know what I could have been. Except for God's mercy and grace. Anything and everything on the list of 1 Corinthians 6, I could be. Coulda, woulda, shoulda been, apart from God's mercy and grace. But it's what I was. It's what we were if we put our faith. It's what I was, but I've been washed, sanctified, and justified through Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of his God. By the Spirit of our God. Let's pray. What are you today? As we go to this time of prayer, what are you? Maybe here, Tim, you're not a Christian yet. What are you? On that list, a list that we could add many things to, couldn't we? What are we? But you don't have to walk out whatever it is. You don't have to walk out Rahab the, pro- the prostitute. You don't have to walk out Simon the leper. You don't have to walk out like that. Because no matter what you have walked in as and with, you can be washed, sanctified, and justified, just as if I never sinned. Jesus said, you must be born again. In John 3, how do I be born again? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus, given your life to him? Whatever you carried in, whatever has happened in your past, it can be forgiven just as if it never happened in God's sight. If like that sinful woman, we will come to Jesus' feet and ask for forgiveness, putting our faith in him, letting him change our life. That's a present that God wants to give you for Christmas. The ultimate Christmas present. You can have that gift right now. Right where you're sitting. You can pray that prayer of faith right now. Just say, God, I... Repent of my sin. I ask you to forgive everything I've ever done that goes against your word, your will for my life. Every lie I've ever believed, every lie I ever acted out on, forgive me. I put my faith in Jesus. I'm at his feet and I'm putting my faith in him. That he died for me. That he came back alive for me. I give my life to him.
If you have prayed that prayer of faith, and just like the sinful woman, Jesus has said, your faith has saved you. Your life will never be the same. You've done far more than putting scissors into an electrical socket. You have connected to the power of God. And your life will never be the same. I want to encourage you to let somebody know that you've received this Christmas gift, this gift from God. Let somebody know. Maybe you have a friend, family member. Tell me. Let me know somehow. Tell someone. Fill out the card. Tell someone so that we can be excited and encourage you in your new life in Christ. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ as we finish up this time of prayer, how is God speaking to us? What were we? As we look at that list, what were we? Are we seeing progress, spiritual progress? Are we realizing our new identity in Jesus Christ? Are we realizing that? By faith, are we believing God's truth instead of the world's lies, even though it it goes against everything in us and it's such a battle? Are we saying, no, by faith, I'm going to believe what your word says, God. I'm not going to listen to the lies of this world. Are we doing that? Are we being transformed by God's mercy and grace? Are Are we... getting out of the ruts. Think of the ruts in our life. Are we fighting our way out of the ruts and avoiding those ruts by God's grace, forming godly habits, godly disciplines, letting the Holy Spirit direct us? Maybe you're here today and you're really stuck in a rut and you need some help. Talk to me. Talk to another Christian brother or sister. We'll get you the help. Sometimes I got stuck on that lane. I had to go get my dad to pull me out with another tractor. I was stuck in the rut. And if you're stuck, you need someone to help. It's okay. That's what we're here for. Carry each one another's burdens. And in this way, fulfill the law of Christ. We're here to help each other with that. Don't stay stuck. Father, I pray that each person here would receive the gift of life that you've given us for this Christmas. And Lord, I pray that each one of us today would rely on your mercy and grace to move forward in our spiritual walk to see progressive victory. I pray you would give us hope because of your word today that you can change our life no matter what we're struggling with and fighting with, that we could live your purpose and achieve our spiritual potential that you've created us to have. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.